Well, good morning, everyone. So glad you're here this morning. Isn't it nice to be back in our air-conditioned place? And um, anyway, I'm sort of stalling right now. <laughs> so if you'd like to tell me about your week, I'm totally willing to listen to it. If, if you've noticed we're missing somebody. And Dennis, were you, did you want to hop on? You, okay. <laughs> Anybody want to play bass? <laughs> we're, we're all about that bass here. Right, Anybody. right. Okay. You did Actually, not. we're not right now. <laughs> but... <laughs> By the way, <laughs> Friday night, we have a worship night here, so we better see all of you. It's going to be awesome. Dana has this huge set planned. It's going to be great. Oh, nice to see you. <laughs> all right. You know what? While he gets right, yes. Woo! We're so glad you're here. It's, it would be nice to have a welcome like that every morning, wouldn't it? Yeah, there's going to be a day where there's going to be a vacant spot here, and we're just going to have you look under your chair, and whoever has the sticker gets to come up here and fill in. <laughs> Is that good? I think that's a great idea. It might be happening Friday, but, you know, so now no one's coming, are they? No, I'm just kidding. Would oh, you yeah. please stand this morning? We're going to sing our praises and bring, bring our song to God. Yeah. 
Father, we just bring you praise. God, we know that you are so big, Father, so much bigger than we can even imagine or comprehend. Yet, Lord, our praises matter to you. God, the condition of our hearts, it matters to you. And Lord, as we're standing here bringing you all that we have, Father, all that we can lay at your feet, God, which isn't much compared to what you've done for us. Lord, we know, God, that you see these praises, Lord. And Father, these please you, God, because you care about us. So Lord, this morning as we sing out to you and we sing your praises, God, and we glorify your name and we sing truths, Lord, that you've written in your word. God, we pray that we please you, God, that we, we bring you joy, Lord, as your children. And we thank you, Father, for the promise that you will always be there for us and that your love is unfailing and unconditional. We love you, God. Chains be broken Lives be
Well, this morning we are super excited to bring you a new song, and I can guarantee that um, it's 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 a good song to sing to, and great words, great truths, and so we're just excited. So sing along as soon as it gets in your head, okay? to be 
beg you come Holy Spirit fill the hearts of these your faithful with the fire of your love today I pray God that your presence would be unmistakably among us Lord I realize that every believer carries around in them the spirit of God and the presence of God but sometimes it's as if we just come to church and sit next to each other and do our religious thing and walk away Let us not forget that when we are gathered as a body of believers, your presence is with us powerfully. I pray today that your spirit would pour out on us. That we would, as the song says, have a keen awareness that you are here. That you are God. That you have great desires for us. And that we would live up to those desires. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, who loves us, so much. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, before I jump into other things, I do want to remind you, Friday night you get the chance to come back and spend some time with extended worship. And, you know, that kind of plays both ways. For some of you, you're kind of, if we did one song and we're done, you'd be good with that. And for the others of you, we get to three and you're like, I'd like three more, six more. So this is a night to be able to expand your worship. I'm telling you, I was here Tuesday night for some of their rehearsal. There was actually a point that I thought this beautiful CD was playing, you know, and I peek out and I see their mouths moving and I'm like, oh my word. And that was the point at which Tyler Yost was told by me that if he doesn't sing more often, I'm going to beat him up. So, you know, that's what pastors do. But anyway, it was just, it's fantastic. You're going to love, you're going to love that evening. So don't you get excited when you actually see spiritual growth taking place in your life. It's kind of cool when you go, oh my word, the thing I've been trying to put into practice, something's actually happening. We've had this list of um, soul care exercises that we've been encouraging you to undertake. And one of them that was incredibly difficult for me is the one called Smile. Just take the time to let what's on the inside to show on the outside. My face does not naturally smile. I actually have to work at it and think about it. So I went to my favorite place on Monday. I went to the doctor in the ongoing battle of the Achilles. And I'm sitting there. And they have three people that comes in. First first the nurse, then kind of a junior doctor, then the main event doctor. So the the nurse comes walking in. And she looks at me. And all of a sudden, her face just, her, 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 her visage just changes. And she looks at me. And she's and she says, oh, I'm so glad. Well, wait a second. That sounds more like my Irish. I get, hold on. Um, Russian. Um, I'm so glad. No, that's, that's, that's pirate. I'm just going, I'm just going straight here. She looks at me and she goes, I'm so glad to see you smiling. And I'm like, I'm smiling. (laughs) Really? She says, you know, when you smile, it makes me want to smile. So often I look at patients and they're so glooming and to just see you sitting there smiling is so encouraging to me. And I was like, holy cow, it works. This is great. So, but then I'm thinking, so why am I smiling? Because I couldn't get over last Sunday. I don't know about you. I had to go back Sunday night and just sit at the river and, and just sit there. And I mean, I was overwhelmed with the day that we shared together, whether it was in here, all gathered together, singing with kids running around the room, or going down to the river and watching all those people make that very public commitment to Jesus in baptism. It was an amazing day. It was an incredible day. And we're very privileged that we have, we have three people, Lisa Galt and Dora Kruger, as well as Shelly, that took the time to take pictures and video. Shelly put those things together in order to be able to celebrate last week. So if you weren't able to be there, It's not quite the same as being there, but it's pretty good. It's pretty good as we just get the chance to see people make that incredibly public commitment to Jesus. So what we're going to do right now, we're actually going to participate in communion. Communion is a time to be able to celebrate what, what Jesus has asked us to do, to remember him until he comes. 
A tray will come to you. It's got bread in the middle and cups on the side. And there are all kinds of different approaches to communion. Sometimes we're very reflective and penitent. This morning, I'd like you to take a little different approach. And that is just a celebratory approach. I sometimes try to imagine what it will be like at the marriage supper of the Lamb to share communion live with Jesus. What's that going to be like? And I suspect to some degree what's going to happen in that moment, besides just continuously staring at him, is kind of picking through the memories and the moments of my life where I'm able to go, you were there. You did this for me. You were there. I... Thank you. Thank you for that moment of grace that happened in that church basement where you brought me to yourself. Thank you for the growth that I experienced along the way. Thank you. And so I thought this morning we'd kind of do a little marriage supper of the Lamb practice, and and we'd, we'd have that baptism video playing this morning, and you can watch these people making their commitments, and as you do, your heart can just well up with gratitude, both for what's happened to them and for what's happened for you, as Jesus has been actively and powerfully at work in your life. The song that's playing behind is one that's familiar with for us. It's a song that we've associated with baptisms around here. And I know the way this works. Sometimes we play a familiar song behind a video and some of you are tempted to sing. But you don't call out. You kind of, you know, you hear a little grunt every once in a while. You're wondering what's going on. We're just going to encourage you today. If you know the song, it'll be up loud enough to, to hide your monotone voice. Go nuts and just sing along and enjoy this moment of absolute celebration. These people are in, fully devoted to Jesus. They want you to know it and they want you to be there too. So let's celebrate together.
I mean, how cool. We had people, someone said this past week, from 7 and 8 to 78. The whole range of people. And I, there are countless images in there that just moved me tremendously. But two that captivated me from the very first time I saw them. Seeing Jared Brooks just have Adam held up like that, hugging him. I can't help but think of, you know, God the Father and the way he, he loves us when we do something that pleases him. I mean, what that image is burned in my mind. And then, and then with his nephew Connor, same thing. And, and to see Lorelai, that look in her eyes when she looks into the eyes of her mother. I mean, just so many images there that give us a beautiful picture of the relationship that we have with God our Father. He loves you that much. He loves you that much. You get the chance to look at the way people interact with each other and see the love of God expressed. That's how much he loves you. So I want to pray one more time. I get into the message this morning. Oh, Father God, what a privilege to be able to celebrate life-changing commitments. And I pray that these moments will not be forgotten. Lord, I pray especially for this group of people that made this incredibly public commitment. We know that the enemy would love nothing better than to attack them, to take them down. We pray your protection upon them. And in the days ahead, as they get the chance to share their story with other people, I pray that they'll share it with boldness, they'll share it with clarity, and it will be winsome and attractive and cause other people to say, you know what, Jesus, I want him too. I want him too. Bring more and more people through us safely home to God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's been a few weeks since we've done this this way. I mean, I took a little break this summer. Some of you are not aware of that because you nap during church. But anyway, for the rest of you, I've, not, I've been up here and we've had a, a crew of people that have been teaching us about the soul. We had Jason Aubrey and John Beaker and Brian and, and even Lorraine Seaman let me come and be a part of her small group on Monday nights and I didn't have to lead. And all that teaching was phenomenal. And if you won't mind, I'd just love to go ahead and thank them again publicly for, for the great job they did teaching us this summer. That teaching in part was a break for me from one of my normal, one of my normal responsibilities, which is uh, preaching, just taking the time to teach. I was doing a lot of other stuff, but taking a little break from this was important. It was important for a couple of reasons. You know, we, we commented at the beginning of the summer that uh, this is 20 years that we've been here. We came in July of 1995 during that dreadful heat wave and got all that stuff into our house and, and started ministry there on Black Road. And we've had this wonderful 20-year stretch. Sometimes it's been very hard. Sometimes it's been incredibly awesome. But we've had these 20 years, and you know this past year especially, with building a building and everything else, it was exhausting, wonderfully exhausting, joyously exhausting, but nonetheless, a time that you just need to pull back. If you've ever spoken on a regular basis, one thing you learn is that you live a lot on adrenaline. So, you know, Monday, I'm a flatliner. By Friday, I'm getting twitchy. And by Sunday, I'm all out this. So, you know, not being able to not go on that adrenaline ride is kind of a good thing, I think, for your body. Good thing for you physically. So that was important. But there was this other piece going on in me, too. This other piece where I was just saying, okay, God, it's been 20 years. What now? What, what, what do we do now? You know, I don't know a lot of pastors that are starting their third decade at the same church. I know a lot of churches that have a pastor at the same place for, you know, three decades. And so not a lot of people I can call and say, what does this look like? How does this work? And, and to be honest, I want to make sure that the third decade is incredibly effective, incredibly energetic, that, that great things are happening through, uh, with, with and through God with what we're doing here. What I don't want is for you all to just watch the next decade pass as I get my dental implants and buy my walker and start to drool and you hand me the gold watch. You know, So I, I want to make sure that this is a time that we all go, that was a good decade. That was a really good decade. What does that look like, God? What are you wanting? You know, see, what I don't think he's really looking for is that we just get in a series of building programs and go, wow, look at that. Wow, look at that. Wow, look at that. Buildings are important to house the ministry, but we're the church. We're what this is all about. So, so what is God calling us to be as a church? And what is, how is God calling me to lead that part of the walk that we're on together? There have been a handful of verses that have impacted me greatly in the past few years of ministry. They've always been in the Bible, but for some reason they've been kind of hitting me in the head in a little different way. Romans 8.29, for example, that says, God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. 
We have all kinds of theories as to why we want to become Christians. I want a happy life. I don't want problems. I, you know, I want, I want lucky charms, the lucky charms guy that just gives me blessings along the way. What, what does God say? I chose you to look more like Jesus. That's why he brought us into his family, to look more like Jesus every day. There's a, there's a verse in Ephesians chapter 4. We're real familiar with the first part about speaking the truth in love. But look at the second part, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Is that your resume? Can you say of your life in every way, not just a couple ways, in every way, every day, I am more and more like Christ. I believe as a pastor, I have some responsibility in seeing that happen. That's, that's a piece of why I'm here, to help people grow every day to be more and more like Jesus. In Galatians 4, Paul uses these words. He says, oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until the day Christ is fully developed in your lives. I've never gone through labor, but I understand it's intense. I've watched it three times. I would never want to go through it. I'm so glad things worked out the way they did, you know? But um, (laughs) Paul's using one of the most intense images to say, I would be willing to go through that kind of pain if it would mean that you would look a little bit more like Jesus. Every day, a little bit more like Jesus. Every day. That's what God has called me to do. He's called me to just make sure that when we all show up in heaven, God is kind of going, I'm not sure who you are. Are you Dennis or are you Jesus? Because we look like him. We look like Jesus. We're supposed to be more and more like Jesus all the time. We have some challenges ahead though, don't we? I mean, we we live in tough times. Everybody said that, right? I'm sure even in 1950, the Warden June Cleaver gang said, we're living in tough times. Some people don't drink their milk. But we, we live in tough times. We live in tough times. I was listening to the radio not too long ago, and this teacher was saying there are two things that we face in our times that are uniquely challenging. One, we live in a time of incredible moral confusion. We know that, right? I mean, right and wrong, good and evil, it's all over the map these days. And it's easy to look out there and cluck and say, yeah, those people. But folks, it's going on in the church. In the church of Jesus Christ, people are incredibly morally confused. It's, all, it's as if we've all decided that we bought our own game of life. We bought our own board game. And we throw away the rules and we say, I'm going to play this game the way I want to. You play your game the way you want to. I won't get involved in your game if you don't get involved in my game. And we'll just all play our own game and do our own thing and make up the rules as we go. Way back when I went to college, so this is like pre-computers, pre-typewriters, pre-pencils, long, long time ago, there was this guy, his name was Francis Schaeffer, and Francis Schaeffer was prophetic in a very real sense. He talked about what was coming in America. He said there's going to come a time because of a post-Christian movement, because of a post-modern movement, because of relativism, there's going to come a time of incredible moral confusion. And back in the 19, early 1980s, when I'd hear that, I'd go, hmm, that's interesting. And now I get to see it in ways that I never, ever, ever dreamed possible. So a piece of what God is calling us to do is to speak to moral confusion. And to be honest, that's not really hard. From this standpoint, we have the truth. We have the truth. We hold it in our hands. We put it on the screen. We have the word of God. With clarity, we have the word of God. Now, it's up to us to choose whether or not we're going to believe it, follow it, obey it. But we have the truth from God. You know, there are people these days that will say things like, well, I don't agree with everything the Apostle Paul wrote. Well, that's interesting because it's not the Apostle Paul who wrote it. It's God who wrote it. So at least replace it and be honest. I don't believe everything God wrote. Because it is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Not just the word of Paul. It's the word of the Lord spoken to us. I think a lot of believers have come to the point that they're, they're four gospel pre- Christians, basically. They believe everything Jesus says. Which, by the way, you better read it because it's pretty tough stuff. But anyway, they believe the stuff. The gospels say, but they say eliminate all the rest. Exacto knife all the rest off. We don't get to do that as Christ followers. It's devoted Christ followers, not a la carters. We don't get to go to the Bible and say, I want one of those, three of those, two of those. Oh, don't give me any of that. And just kind of pick along the way the morality that we want. We either follow God, we are either declaring Jesus as the Lord of our lives, or we're just kind of doing a little religious option thing and testing a few things out. I don't think this one's real hard. It's going to take courage. It's going to take love. 
going to take a lot of things. But God has given us the truth. To me, the second one's a little bit more difficult. We live in an era of moral confusion, but we also live in an era of emotional and relational brokenness. People are incredibly broken emotionally. If you don't believe it, you got a fair dose of it this past week on the national scene. As national leaders are just acting like petulant children, seriously, the things we've seen in the news this past week, in kindergarten, I'd have been sent to the corner with no lunch. But somehow, in our time now, it's cool to be petulant. It's cool to be angry. It's cool to lose our temper. It's cool to be out of control. Instead of what the Bible says, we're supposed to be self-controlled. So much of where our culture is going is just a society that is incredibly emotionally broken. If you don't believe it, just drive somewhere. I mean, I get flipped off so often. I don't know if I'm becoming Mr. Magoo or what, but I mean, it's just more and more I'm getting honked at and everything else. People are just angry all the time. And you know what? The anger isn't just out there. The brokenness isn't just out there. I think one of the hardest things I face these days, every time I have to have this conversation, it just breaks my heart, is to talk to a kid, more often than not it's a girl, who says, my dad was there to make a contribution to my existence. And then he was gone. He's never called, he's never written. He wants nothing to do with me. And I, for the life of me, cannot figure out why that man doesn't want me. Why does he not want me? And they suffer and they struggle and they try to figure out how in the world to deal with that brokenness. We wonder why there's moral confusion. A lot of the moral confusion comes out of brokenness. It comes out of people who are suffering with such tremendous brokenness that they're just saying, I will do anything and everything I can to rewrite the rules in order to just feel happy and loved. In order to just feel like there's someone actually cares about me. You know, like I said, that brokenness, you you can't leave it out there. So what happens? Well, we come to church. You know, and, and again, if we were able to just sit like this and sing songs and watch me teach, we'd all get along great. But the problem is then we go out there and we talk to each other. And we start getting involved with each other. And we get in small groups with each other. And we, and we start to interact with each other. And, and we start to have these little rubs and bumps. And these rubs and bumps feel a lot like maybe what happened in our family growing up or what happened in my first marriage or, or this, that, or the other thing. And these things come to us and we start to have trouble. And you know what happens in time? I see this again and again. If there's anything that's broken my heart over 20 years of pastoring, I get so weary, so weary of people being a part of the church, hooked in, growing, things are going well. And then one day, you just notice them, they're not at the door anymore. And two, three, four weeks pass by, and they're not at the door. And you give them the call, or you send them the text, and they say, yeah, we're going somewhere else. And as you start to dig in a little bit, you find out they got their feelings hurt by somebody, and they just can't be there anymore. And what we become is a church full of three and outers. We hang around a church for about three years, because three years is about the point that you start actually getting into relationship with each other. First two years, you're just partying along. But by the third year, you actually start to get involved in relationship. And that's when the bumps start to happen. And that's the point at which you start getting reminded of your brokenness. And you go, I'm picking up my ball. I'm picking up my toys. I'm going somewhere else. I'm not going through this. And what we end up doing is we keep reliving the same three years over and over and over again, emotionally and relationally. What would happen if you actually stayed to year four? What would happen if you actually fought through that hurt and saw some emotional and relational growth take place instead of just walking away? I really think that God is calling us as a church not to ignore everything else, but to be focused in on helping people with their emotional and relational brokenness. This is an area that is impacting so many people. You know, as we, as we had the soul series, we, we talked about ways that we would tend to divide up a person, body, soul, all that sort of thing. And lots of different ways have been proposed. Jesus says we're to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, strength. He offers those four. And, you know, if Jesus says something, I'm good with that. He's, he, that that's, a good, that's a good breakdown. Others have said things like mind, soul, spirit, body. 
Those are the four parts of a human being. Some people want to take it down to three. You have your spirit, your, your mind, your body. Others want to talk more in terms of physical, mental, and emotional. They have all these different breakdowns that they use in order to figure out the parts of, of a person. Uh, this one was kind of interesting. They went with physical, mental, social, emotional, and spiritual. So let's just think this through for a minute. If you're um, here today sitting, you can pretty much, you know, touch your legs, touch your head for a minute. Go ahead and feel this. This is a body and it's real. And unless you're in freshman the- philosophy, you, you, you believe that. Some of, you, some of you are experimenting, whatever. But the rest of us, we know this thing is real. Uh, we know we're, there's something about a human that is physical. There's something about a human that is mental. We, we buy into what Descartes said. I think, therefore, I am. Cogito ergo sum. I know, I know there's something going on up here. Sometimes not as much as what's going on in yours, but there's something going on up here. And I know that the something that's going on up here is different than what goes on in here. You see, when I get mad, I don't get mad here. I get mad here. It all goes tight right here. I feel it right here. And I know that there's some difference between the emotion and the will that I'm feeling and what's going on up here. So I can see that there's a physical side, a mental side of me, and a social, emotional side of me. I don't quite buy in putting spiritual as its own quadrant. Uh, You know, it's almost as if it's a segment out there. All these things are spiritual. What does the Bible call your body? The temple of the Holy Spirit. That's a pretty spiritual description of your physical body, isn't it? It's not as if you get to have your body separate from God. Oh, I'm going to have my body, but it's not going to be a spiritual issue. No, it's all part of it. But, you know, again, for the sake of argument, let's go ahead and leave this thing up here. So, there are a lot of people who, as believers, are doing pretty well in the physical area. They go to Bob's workout classes. They run. They eat right. Good for them. They're doing all that. Yay. Woo. Nice. Wonderful. They got that physical thing down. Uh, mental. Evangelicals are great at knowing their stuff. We know the verses. We know the addresses. We can quote the address. And other religions, they'll go, wow, you know your Bible. That's impressive. We even know our theology. We know what a Calvinist is. We know what an Arminian is. And we know how to fight our side and defend our position. We know our stuff. Mentally, we're doing all right. Spiritually, most people will go, hey, they go to church. Must be spiritual. So, you know, all this is working. But then we come over to this emotional, social side. And this, this, just, this really blows me away. That a person will be considered fit, mentally sound, spiritually healthy. But then they get involved in relationships and they erupt in anger or pout or withdraw or do whatever. And everyone around them goes, oh, that's just Dennis. That's just the way he is. And we, we tolerate that side. We tolerate that side of their emotions as if somehow, well, they just can't help that. Uh, guess what? It all falls under the domain of Jesus Christ. It's all part of what, when we grow more and more to be like Christ, that includes the emotional, relational side of that. We don't get to leave that at the door. So part of the reason that God has us all in this big preschool playpen playing together is because he wants us to rub and bump against each other. He wants us to get in conflicts every once in a while and those sorts of things because all that stuff brings out opportunities to grow. That's what God is looking for from us. But what I find is that we need some coaching in that. We need some help in that. You know, because a lot of us, we're stuck in patterns, especially patterns straight from our childhood. You know, I grew up in a pretty angry family. We were either angry or we were quiet. There wasn't a lot of whole, you know, happy placid in the middle. You were either World War III or Flatliner. And I bring that to pastoring. Yikes. Needed help. I needed some people who would teach me there was something in the middle. One of my teachers is a person named Kim Papp. So the first, the first month of our marriage is adventure land, you know, because I either scream or I shut up, and she wants to solve everything. Oh, my word. She wants to talk, and she wants to talk reasonably. She can remove the emotion. It's like being married to Perry Mason, you know, and she's just, she's just working through it, and peace, 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 peace. And I'm like, what in the world did I do? What is this? And she'd get mad when I wouldn't get mad and everything else. And I'm like, I really didn't want to be a science experimented. I just wanted to be married. But you know what? God gave her to me and me to her. Why? So that we would become more like Jesus Christ. 
God didn't give Kim to me for me to be happy. And believe me, God didn't give me to Kim for her to be happy. God gave us to each other to make us holy. And when we're willing to live through those bumps, holiness emerges. But sometimes we need help. So one of the ways that we hope to help is we're going to be introducing a course around here that's become part of, part of who we are. It's going to be called the Foundations of Life Change. Life Change is what we're all about. We believe in life change. We're not just a church where you come and get a pretty song and a nice sermon and head on your way. This, this is not a place to just come and get a little taste of evangelical and go live your life. We believe that God has commissioned us to help people to grow to be like Jesus. But the thing of it is, we need help in knowing how to change. And so we're going to be talking about the changes that God wants to take place in our lives, especially those emotional, relational changes where we get so stuck. We're calling each of these groups transforming communities because we believe that it was what it's going to be. A group of people that are going to be together for nine months. In the first service, I said the length of labor, and my wife's eyes popped out of her head. The length of the, length of the time that a baby takes to come to full maturity. Nine months, nine months in order to be born. And we're going to go through a nine-month process of hearing teaching, of reading, and of being in groups together where we talk transparently and openly and honestly. And honestly, that's the scary part. It's easy to study it. It's another thing to be vulnerable and honest and say, this is where I am and this is who I am. We chose the image of a turtle. Um, we own turtles. Kind of a weird family. We don't do dogs, cats. We had a mouse once, Lenny. <laughs> Lenny's dead. He's still in a box in the garage. I, I'm not kidding. We haven't buried him yet. I, I have separation issues. But anyway, um, we have turtles, three of them. And every once in a while, they get themselves flipped. And a turtle can eventually turn itself over. And watching the contortions it goes through to flip itself over is painful. It is much easier for me to reach into the tank and flip the turtle. And believe it or not, the one in which there are two turtles, sometimes the one flips the other. And that's what we need, especially relationally and emotionally. Sometimes we need someone else to flip us. Sometimes we just, we can't see it ourselves And we need someone else that comes alongside and says, here, I can help you. I can help you along the way with this. So this is the direction we're going to be going. I think it's going to be incredibly helpful. We all acknowledge we live in a fallen world. Genesis 3 tells us that. Experience tells us that. I mean, if you believe this is paradise, oh my word. I don't want to know your definition of hell. You know, I mean, this is is not paradise. This is a fallen world. We've all been affected by the fall. I hear from time to time people say things like, I come from a dysfunctional family. Yeah, right. We all do. But um, I have a better term. I like this term better. We don't come from dysfunctional families. We come from sin-functional families. All of our families have learned to live and function well in the context of sin. And we just use our sin. We weaponize our sin on each other. And we, and we break each other with the way that we relate emotionally and relationally. And we need help with that. We need help with that along the way. What happens is, um, as we're working through life, especially some of our early years, hurts come our way. We get sinned against. This may be a hard thing for some of you to admit, but your parents sinned against you. No, this isn't Oprah. Breathe. You know, we're not blaming mommy. That's not it. Sinful people sin against each other. Sinful people have sinful patterns. And they sin against each other. And we don't even realize it because when we're little in particular, you know, for us there were only six people in that world. And that was our world. We didn't know what went on across the street. This was our world. That's the way we thought it worked. And so there are things going on in our family and we're being sinned against by our parents and sinned against by a sinful world. And these things are happening. What starts to happen in our lives is we start making some commitments. We don't even realize we make the commitments. It's not like we sign a legal contract. It's not like we write them down. But we make some commitments. And those commitments begin to show themselves in ways of sinfully relating to other people. Sinful relating patterns start to emerge. So let me give you a couple of examples of commitments from my own life. This week is an anniversary week for me. Um, In 1977, as a kid, 14-year-old kid, my best friend climbed a tree 
And through that tree was going a 60,000-volt wire. And the buckle on the back of his head arced, hit, and he was immediately electrocuted, thrown from the tree, and died. And in 1977, um, when a kid died, grief counselors didn't come rushing to the school. Your mom didn't say, let's go to counseling. They had a funeral. They put a picture on the wall and said, that's done. And we didn't talk about it again. But I talked about it a lot in my head. Sadly, over and over and over again. Talked about the ways I could have stopped his death. Talked about the things that I could have done. And the ways that I felt like I failed him because I wasn't there. And I had a lot of conversations where I talked about ways that I was going to join him. I wanted to be done. I wanted my life over. And years later, as I'm processing this, I realized the commitment I made. The commitment I made looked something like this. I never want to feel this kind of pain again. I never want to hurt like this again. I'm so grateful that in my context, at least, I was, protect- I was protected from, uh, from addictive substances because I think that for me would have been a journey straight to a bottle, pills, or something. It would have. But that doesn't make me any better. I still went for all kinds of ways to just make sure that the pain stopped. I couldn't stand hurting, and I didn't want to hurt again. So part of the way I guaranteed that was, if you're alive, I'm just not going to connect with you because you might die. And so I isolated myself. I kept myself away from people. I said, I can't be around people who might leave me. Now, there's another one for me later in life. I experienced a couple of pretty significant betrayals. This one was tough. You know, for me, these betrayals felt a little bit like the movies you'll watch where Caesar, whomever, all of a sudden finds a spear or a knife in the middle of their gut, and they're kind of like, what just happened there? You know? For me, I remember on the first and then the second one especially, kind of looking at my back and going, there's a knife. Where'd that come from? Where that it hurts. What what is that? And here's the part that I struggled with. I really believe God has gifted me, spiritually gifted me with discernment. I'm an incredibly observant people. I see a person. I see stuff. I see stuff. And I could not understand how I missed it. I couldn't understand how somebody pulled that off and I missed it. And I felt stupid. I just felt dumb. How in the world could I have missed that? And so I made a commitment. I will not be transparent ever again. I will not put myself in a place with people that they will have the chance to run that knife between my ribs. It's not going to happen. Now, referred to these as sinful styles of relating, and you might hear that and say, how can you call that sinful? That's natural. It's smart. It's wise. What are you doing? It's sinful because God's called us to live in community. God's called us to be vulnerable. God's called us to trust him with our hurts. And instead, I decided I was going to protect myself from hurting. And that's what a lot of us do in our lives. We decide ways that we're going to guarantee that that thing never happens again. In fact, it often begins, I call them Scarlet O'Hara moments. You remember? I will never be hungry again. That whole thing. Um, I will never. Some of you, yours is this. I will never be like that man referring to your dad. I will never be like that woman referring to your mom. You've got people in your life that you've said, I will never. And those I will nevers end up becoming unhealthy, sinful styles of relating that we bring to every relationship. We bring it to our marriage. We bring it to our children. You take it to work. You even bring it to church. You bring it everywhere. And you keep wondering why you keep having the same problem over and over and over again. And you forget that the common denominator is you. You're it. It's what you're bringing. And what what we want to be able to do is come alongside you, little turtle, and give you a flip. (laughs) Help you. Because you're stuck. You're stuck. We get stuck emotionally and relationally. And we need help getting out. So... Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about some of these sinful styles of relating, some metaphors given in the Bible that talk about ways that we get self-protective, ways that we say, I will never. 
And I'm hopeful that God, through his spirit, will start to break down some things in you that you'll recognize some patterns and be able to begin a journey toward healthy relating with other people and an emotional health that you never thought was possible in your own life. Let's pray to God. Father in heaven, it's unimaginable to me that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came as a perfect man to an incredibly broken world and looked at us and saw the way we live and operate and everything else. (sighs) The pain it must have caused him. I suspect more than once Jesus wept as he looked at us and the way we hurt each other and the way we hurt ourselves because we make these foolish commitments to avoid our pain. Lord, I pray that you'd help us today, especially as we walk away with what we've learned today. Satan would love nothing better than to start scrambling our eggs. Certainly for some of us already, defenses are rising. We don't like talking about emotions. We don't like talk about relationships. We just characterize it as, a, as an Oprah thing and move on. Lord, I pray that you will help all of us to be open to health in this area of our lives as well, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, okay, never mind. I guess he's going to click it. Um, yeah, so, good morning. Uh, it's nice to be back for announcements uh, and to an, an awesome full room. Uh, we have our servers moving to the back to begin receiving the morning offering. So on your way in, you should have received that card uh, inside of your folder. If you didn't have a chance to fill it out, scramble it and do it now because uh, we want to know that you're here. Any prayer requests, anything that you've got, again, we want to be here for you. Uh, as for announcements, students, we are Revive. We are on our last week off for the summer. Next week, we move back to 6 to 8 p.m., which is really exciting. Glad uh, that we get to get back to that. Refuge. We have an event this Wednesday at Shanahan Community Park. We're having a big cookout with water balloons and all kinds of crazy stuff from noon to 4. And I realize that high school actually starts on Wednesday. So we're going to be missing some of our high school leaders. But we are still going out there because junior high, you guys get more summer than the high schoolers do. Woo! Uh, so good for you. Uh, yeah, so, and then next Wednesday, so not this, this Wednesday we have the cookout. The following Wednesday, we're actually going to be moving back to normal times with Refuge, but our normal times are now going to be 6.30 to 8.30 rather than 7 8.30. So we get a little extra time uh, to get things going and uh, wind down the junior hires before the teach instead of just cramming stuff in. So uh, really excited for that. It's, uh, it's going to be a really good, uh, really good season, really good fall. Now, speaking of junior high, on Sunday mornings, we're going to be moving to a, a different approach for our uh, junior high ministry. Instead of doing episoding, which has been an awesome program for so long, uh, we're going to be doing some mentoring, which is more individualized, uh, focusing on what kids need and getting really a a deeper understanding of different um, subjects and topics. So we've got some fantastic leaders set up, ready uh, to dive in and mentor some of these kids. The registration deadline, it is required that you register, and the registration deadline is this Wednesday for this uh, first session. So if you have a junior hire, or you are a junior hire, and you want to be a part of this program, it's a commitment. Uh, and so that's why we ask you to register. And if you, um, if you want to get in on that, we need you uh, registered on the website by this Wednesday. Finally, we have our uh, final summer event, the camp out on Friday, August 28th. We're going to have um, a telescope out there, campfire, all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, so again, Come join us for that because it's going to be a really a really good way to, to end the summer together uh, as we uh, wrap up the, the relationships that we've built this summer. Now, in preparation for Friday night, we got one more song for you. So let's sing along. Would you please stand as we sing our last song together for the morning? <laughs> Try a little. 
great words to leave this morning with and and enter into this new week. But before you go, I just want to remind you one more time, I think you've been reminded by each one of us that's had a mic today, about Worship Unleashed on Friday night at 7 o'clock. We'd love to see you here and worship um, through song and music with us for longer than, you know, 15, 20 minutes. So it'll be a great night. So you guys have a great day, and I will see you Friday, if not Sunday. All right, bye.